Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder, our expectations have become greater, and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate, and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call-out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines and knowing when to quit, choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimise your success. Maggie Bolger launched Be Together, a design-led intergenerational family club and neighbourhood destination. Following her exit as co-founder and creative director of her first family club venture, Maggie and Rose. Be Together is a progressive thought leader of early childhood education, has family-focused interior design and a superior members club. Maggie is a mum on a mission, raising four children of her own. We chatted about believing in your product, the importance of good investors, mum guilt, unhelpful advice, and the balancing act of raising a family and building a business. I'd love to ask you to kick off to just tell me about the business, what it's doing and what your mission is so that everyone understands this brilliant new, this brilliant new business. I think the mission was to make uh, parenting a little bit more accessible and have everything critical to your needs under one roof. It's an all encompassing space for families to hang and get looked after and eat and play. Why do you think that doesn't exist in more abundance? Why are there, Why are those functions still so separate? Because I think it's so interesting, particularly having been to your beautiful site. It's one of those moments where you're like, I just don't understand why this isn't a thing. And I don't understand why anyone could come here and not be convinced that this is the way they should live their life. And I know that's where gaps in the market come from. But for you, are you astonished that this doesn't, exist because I operated so I understand how difficult it is um I think previously it's interesting the nursery sector has been very much unchanged for many many years which was one of the frustrations that I found when I came into this sector as a young mom with kids that needed childcare. and then hospitality and restaurant is a different sector they don't cater to families it's not a market that they're interested in but you know historically it is evenings dinners booze you know kind of thing so no one really goes in no, neither of the two industries necessarily meet they're quite specific trying to find people that have worked across both sectors that want to combine them is not necessarily the easiest things in, in the world and nurseries are particularly complex to operate with the elements of 
the you know the registration the legislation legislation everything that comes around caring for children so you know hospitality are like no i do not want to do that and nursery are like why would i want to operate a restaurant on top of dealing with you know staff ratios and ofsted and everything so i think i'm probably the one of the few crazy people that decided that you could put the two together we started off actually with a tiny little cafe doing muffins and coffees and classes and a play area and a play lounge and we didn't even really know if it was going to work either because it seemed to make sense for us because we were young mums but we were like oh maybe it won't catch on but it did um so yeah so your experience 15 plus years ago was that you were a young mum you now have four children which is not a small amount of children <laughs> it is not it's not a small amount of children um and you essentially without sort of oversimplifying it you created something back then that you didn't feel excited and that you needed for you now with this business is that a similar thing you you know you've obviously chosen the hospitality industry which has famously been you know I would say battered in the last 18 months right the right word but also famously very difficult and then childcare, which as you've explained is also incredibly difficult and then you said I'll just I'll do both because that seems like a logical next step for me it what was it that was going on in your life that led you to think that this was the idea well I mean obviously with with Maggie and Rose I'd got it to seven clubs uh kind of around the world with Singapore Hong Kong London and we just entered into China and I wasn't ready to leave Megan Rose. I had actually uh, proposed a management buyout and because we had so much interest and so much support in what we were doing internationally, um, I just chose, I didn't feel that China was the right route for us um, as a brand and I think that's quite a big lesson for entrepreneurs in terms of growth and where you take your product to. China's a very different market to, um, to going to Southeast Asia or even America and Europe. Um, so I kind of wasn't ready to leave, but obviously it did. It just so happened that I did um, because my, the board at Maggie Rose decided they wanted to pursue China and I decided that that wasn't where I was going to take things. So I had a bit of time out, which was the first time in 15 years that I had time um, to kind of sit and think, OK, if I was to do it again. And you always when you're an entrepreneur in this in or a business owner in the in the in the, the thick of it when you've got clubs opening in china and hong kong and singapore you don't have time to think about what you would do necessarily um differently because you're in it so i actually had this this period of time to look at it and go okay what, what if i'm evolving now as an entrepreneur i'm not a startup because i've done it tested a model it was an industry or a, a business model i guess that i kind of carved out and pioneered and and created something and I was like, right, if you were to, you know, going back 15 years, if I had all the knowledge that I have now, what would I do differently? And so we kind of looked at how we could create, you know, a business capitalizing on all the lessons that I learned, which is a luxury that you don't often get in business when you spot a gap in the market, because you're normally the first one learning expensive mistakes and doing all the wrong things. And fundamentally, the three things I wanted to really kind of look at was sustainable food for families because my children it's quite frightening my children's conversations at the moment mine are slightly older and teenagers but you know they say things like they don't really think about have growing old because they don't think the, the planet's going to be here so they don't plan for retirement and stuff and they kind of have this thing in their head that they're okay with maybe that they won't get past 50 you know you have and you listen to your kids and you're like holy shit actually if we don't um if you don't start and 
not that I'm like a massive eco warrior and doing everything perfectly, but it was what what can we do from the beginning, even if they're small changes, and even if we just start to challenge how we think normally in business and when you grow and what you do, if everything that we do, we ask first how we could do it more sustainably. What I found in this journey is that it's not always possible and that when we're not quite caught up on where we could be, but then there were some things that I was massively surprised about in terms of, wow, actually, if the world continues to do this, then maybe there is hope. Um, so there was looking at just building a business that had sustainability at the core, not only as an operating model, but also fundamentally that was part of the curriculum that we that we conveyed and that we taught the children because we are an early years provider. So we end up with them before they start their journey in schools at the period of time that they're in that their their brains are growing the most and absorbing the most so we have children from one to four and actually fundamentally if you can instill elements of recycling and sustainability into their mindset they potentially hopefully will carry it on throughout the rest of their lives and think differently from from day one and making choices that so we have like a wormery in our nursery in a growing area inside our nursery and the children uh they any waste that's left on their plates which we teach them to only portion what they can eat but if there is some left over they feed the worms because it's not about putting it in a bin because putting it in a bin just adds to the growing problem and it's just fundamental little things and they're not massive you know i can't say that we are doing everything as massively sustainably as i'd like we keep having to we keep having blessed some of our suppliers who've been amazing calling us saying listen we're in trouble we don't know if we're going to last you know, so little things like this, the, the pool is small for sustainable suppliers as well. So we keep, it's an ongoing journey. But that was kind of where I got to with how could we build a community that has functionality that people can come to get some work done, put their kids in childcare they, they adore, hang out with their friends and their kids, and also um, learn about how we can just be kinder to the, to the planet. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to come and see the site site what do we what do we refer to it as is it a site it is a yeah the site I guess we can say um and it is your eyes kind of light up as you go in and around and obviously it's been designed to be um a sensory experience it is so uh it is such a visual feast for nature and that's everything from the colors and the materials and cork and wood and rope and when I was looking around, there was a massive pile of cardboard boxes, which I was told were then reused in various other elements within the space. All of your lampshades are cardboard, correct me, cardboard boxes. And, the, you know, the, and it's, it's so obviously a kind of chic designed modern take on probably what would have been... Um, visually quite unappealing maybe like 10 years ago you know you've probably got a bit more room now to, to use design incorporated with with those functional practical elements but you know there's a lot of water and things to touch and plants and things that are alive and you just mentioned the worms how critical for you was the nature outdoor element when educating these kids and potentially even their parents at a site that is in really central London. That's the key to bringing the outdoors in was that when we look at Asia, because we are looking, generally you end up with, and a lot of schools and nurseries, not everyone has access to vast amounts of outdoor space. 
And actually, within nursery schools and, and daycares, they spend a lot of time indoors. It's just what happens. You can't always get a whole group of kids out outside all day, every day. So when they were inside, we wanted to make it not feel like they were inside. And we, I, I fundamentally disagree with children being kind of, I say, early schoolified, you know, under the age of five. They don't need to be in a classroom environment. They learn naturally, but this had to feel like a natural play-like environment. And I remember when I first did Mangan Rose and I was like, okay, how can we make this as playful as possible? And we, you know, however many years ago now, we created this like mini village, which was at the time groundbreaking in terms of people rethinking how nursery schools I wanted to get away from classrooms or rooms or even spaces for ages and try and have this really kind of natural holistic flow. So the nature adds to, you can have an open plan room, but if it's too stark, then kids get bored. So you have to put all the elements in to make it kind of fun. And also, you know, within early years, there's this term play-based learning, which everybody uses a bit like a, a badge of honour at the moment. But a lot of the schools end up looking like, a lot of the nurseries and, and daycares end up looking like schools. And it kind of, kind of, it's like, okay, so where's the play-based learning if it looks like an academic school? So we wanted to make sure that play was built into the walls and that it was fundamentally, when you walked in, the first thing you thought about was play and nature rather than learning and education. And you mentioned earlier, being horrified at some of your children's responses to the future and and their future my childhood I was very fortunate that I grew up outside both my parents wanted us to be outdoors and we didn't have iPads we didn't have technology I mean there might have been like an old fridge in the garden that we would get three months use out of to play with but for you how alarmed are you at the reliance on I guess not not so much broadly technology but sort of screens and quick fixes and that sort of quite short-sightedness is it something that you think about is reversible is it an education thing or is it that fundamentally people are quite lazy and it's quite an easy option it's such a um such a massive debatable topic in the world of parenting because I've, I've gone through a couple of generations I guess of of parenting and, and children. So my eldest is 21 and my youngest is 10. So in effect, I've been through what my kids, my older, my older children tell my 10-year-old that they were raised outside and they didn't have this and they didn't have iPads. And, you know, he's so spoiled because he really do, does a sit and watch telly. And they're like, get outside, play with cardboard boxes, a little like we when we refer to our childhood, but they are still modern kids of a generation where they have iPhones and have access to stuff that we didn't have. So I used to be really kind of a massive advocate for anti-screens. And then you kind of get to this point where you're like, this is not going anywhere. No matter what happens, we are not going to be able to reverse the, the, what we've got to. Like they, And it's a peer pressure thing at schools. Like I remember my kids didn't have PlayStation or anything like that, but there was a peer pressure thing. You know, Ollie doesn't have a Nintendo Switch. And he's like, but mom, all my friends have it. But with my older children, I managed to, I don't know how I've done it. I couldn't write a book about it or become an advocate, but I've managed to get three children who don't, um, they don't have a reliance on social media and, you know, they're not selfing, they're not kind of out there doing it. They use it occasionally for their own arty bits and pieces, but they do communicate on like TikTok and WhatsApp. So very few call anymore, <laughs> pick up the phone. Their, their whole world is very much, but how, and then, but you look at us, you know, you look at us as, as parents and I run my business off WhatsApp. 
you know, that's, and I'm always on my phone because it's, but you're, I'm always moving and you're in an Uber or you're kind of, and so basically they are conditioned by what they see and how they're influenced by us. So we have to try and find a, a happy balance. So within our nurseries, we don't have screens or ICT. I don't believe they need it in a nursery environment because at home they get enough of it. They get exposed to it. So when they're with us, it's about play and it's about getting messy and doing the things that as parents we maybe don't have time to do. Um, so it is finding it's finding the balance. And there are still some super scary things, you know, in terms of some of the gaming and the things that kids get into. And you can't control it because I have a rule that we don't have certain games in our house. But they go to friends' houses and come back after a weekend and they've been playing the games that they're not supposed to play. But you can't parent somebody else's kids in somebody else's house. So, yeah, I have to find it's an eternal battle. It's a funny thing, isn't it? I think for us, it was always, the lesson was always about food. Like if you were ever denied anything and then you go to their, your friend's house and they were allowed to have chocolate, you just like go fucking balls to the walls and come home like really hyper. And I do think that it's, I don't have any children. My, my um, best friend has twins and I ended up helping her for a few months, living with her about four days a week. And it was honestly the most joyful thing I've done. I, obviously could hand them back and I, I don't for one second think that, that was in any way preparation for motherhood but you know she had said to me a long time ago you know Maggie and Rose is like is the shit like if you want to be a chic mom and be have your shit together you go to Maggie and Rose and I sent her videos from when I came to see you the other day and she basically had a panic attack about coming back from LA and immediately attending my um my experience as a child being raised obviously you retroactively fit loads of stuff and there are all these like halcyon days where we remember being outside and it was all wonderful obviously that wasn't the reality all the time but it is a very difficult thing to navigate with things like social media because we we sort of have to use them in some capacity and we want to and they have wonderful wonderful benefits connected to marketing and networking and staying in touch with people and it's never been easier to showcase a business online but how do you teach a child moderation and how do you explain to them at what point that becomes you know difficult and addictive how do you manage sort of meeting parents who have small children and wanting to impress upon them all the things you've learned do you ever have to be a bit reserved about not telling them that they should maybe recycle more or they should, um, you know. You, I t I've, ten, I've learned over the years that people have to learn the hard way <laughs> in some respects and some things. And, you know, you don't want to be over opinionated. Everybody, everybody parents how they know the best. There is no, um, there's no rule book to parenting. And I've always laughed that, you know, you have to get a license to drive a car at the age of 18 and you have to, sit these tests and you have to go and do this practice runs and everything before you're allowed on the open road however I mean I had my first child at 22 and I didn't have a bloody clip I could barely you know kind of brush my own hair at that point let alone have a have this small being but nobody checks there's nothing that tells you the basics or anything and I don't know what that says about us as a human race that we think it's more important to get a license to drive a car than it is to bring a human into the world but um there's no right or wrong but you know so in that instance 
you can't judge people for how they want to raise all the decisions that they're making. And also with the social media world, everyone's so influenced by some new expert who's just turned up, who's had a baby and suddenly is sponsored by some brand. And now they're an expert in weaning and that becomes the trend. And, you know, we find a lot of things in terms of the way that I, you know, obviously my kids, were eat, my, my youngest children were being weaned at four months. And that's a big no, no now because it's only six months and, you know, things change. So I'm kind of always quite, I try to be diplomatic and kind of say, you know, and guide if they only guide and give advice if, if I'm asked in other industries like in the fitness industry there's a lot of uh criticism of people enforcing and pushing their own uh conditions and feelings and they're, they're very much personal stories to your point about you know you've raised four kids but they're sort of they become instant experts and coaches and um it also happens in in the diet industry particularly a lot and those two seem to be Two, that people get quite upset about, probably because they are impacting quite vulnerable people who are desperate for uh, solutions to problems. Is that what it's like in the mum world? Because mum blogging and uh, or mummy bloggers and the explosion of social media and the growth of, uh, I guess, a lot of these quite flammable topics, like whether it's breastfeeding and, you know, getting people on this morning to debate it. And it sort of gets people really irked. Do you, is that consistent with what your experience has been in the industry? Is it um, that it is, there are a lot of people online kind of soliciting advice that isn't backed up? Or are you quite relaxed about the idea of competition or experts just doing their own thing? How, How do you feel about it personally? I think it's it's it, like like the diet market and the fitness market, as you say, there's always going to be influences in every field. And I think what social media has done is open up careers for particularly, you know, stay at home moms and stuff that can then balance childcare with, um, you know, with with a career that is quite mobile. And as a result, you know, it, all, on, across all sectors, it's exploded with with people But it is. I think, and across all of them, you now struggle to know who to listen to. There are so many products out there and which one do you buy? You know, there are so many things and so much advice. So if you find people that you gravitate towards that you quite like and you kind of think I could be mates with them, you're going to trust what they say because what social media has replaced is your mates. People often ask me for advice, you know, around the place because they know that I've had kids, but um, publicly it's quite hard to go out there and go, this is how you should be doing it. You know, I'm, I'm not sure that even across the board, you know, from a sustainability perspective, from a parenting perspective, you know, I'm doing the best that I can with the knowledge that I have. I learn every day new things, things change, things evolve. Um, but God, I, would, I wouldn't put myself out there as an influencer with a, with a kind of like, you know, taking a stand on anything. And I think with parenting as well, there's just so many variables that impact someone's situation that your advice is probably always going to lack context and actually you know, to, to, to your point of what you said, it's, it's really refreshing that you're sort of keen to give your advice where people want it, but it's not necessarily a preachy forcing anything down anyone's throat. It's providing a space and an experience that is, in your opinion, you know, doesn't really exist anywhere else. And hope, hopefully people can take from that what, what they want rather than than forcing forcing your views on people. But one one of the things that I've always loved about what we created, what I created with Rose, but also what we've created here is fundamentally we are kind of the um, 
the opposite of social media. We're a community where you do connect personally. And so, you know, I think our mums meet upstairs and they connect and they make friendships and they get their advice in person. And I do think there's something lonely about social media and about the digital world. Absolutely. You have quite a unique experience. You you exited a business. You mentioned at the beginning that you thought in this sort of downtime about what it was that you would do if you could do it all again. It's quite interesting to have created a business that that was, is successful, exited it, then kind of gone back to a very, the same category and tried to create a business that's actually sort of in competition with the other thing that took 15 years of my life. For you, in terms of that experience, what have you learned from that venture or that experience that has that has led you to be able to do this either quicker or better or faster? What are the kind of lessons that that have allowed you to now do this much more quickly? So I think in the whole, um, the one year off, I had to rethink things and the planning and everything, you know, what I could do quicker and all the manner of things um, was interrupted with the global pandemic, I have to say. <laughs> so we're not, uh, we are open, um, but we could have been open quicker. Um, and obviously timings and everything, you know, all throughout with, with a lot of businesses. I mean, it's broken my heart to see some business, how businesses have had to, you know, if we were in oper- if we had been operating as a restaurant, you know, to see what's happened to the restaurant industry in this pandemic has been, you know, is, is heartbreaking. So is that scary for you, though, like knowing what your business plan is and being like, um, this isn't great. And I've like kind of made quite a big punt here picking two industries and one of them's having a terrible time and we've got to kind of launch as people are bouncing back like was that scary during that year I had to I mean obviously I exited a business with had huge amounts of support backing from various people and then you have restrictions you have to rebuild what you think your career is going to be where you want to go so you raise finance you're doing getting planning for a building you know and then <laughs> the world goes into lockdown and you're just like fucking out like I mean, thank God I have the most incredible investor, the most incredible backer. And actually, for the first time, I've been backed by a woman. The chocolate industry is actually quite male-dominated as well in terms of CEOs and founders of nursery chains and things. But um, we have been fortunate to have support in that instance to kind of help us see it through and ride it through so that we made sure that we looked after our people and that we we didn't, you know, panic and we didn't kind of... So, um, yes... That that doesn't kill you makes you stronger is something that people keep mentioning to me a lot lately. And I'm like, okay. I've seen that on a few posters. I don't know what the fuck it, I don't know what it means. But um, did you find that your previous experience, you had, is it seven sites that you had previously? You got it up. When I left, it was up to seven, yeah. Yeah, so having open sites and presumably had delays and floods and deliveries go missing and something being burgled or, you know, whatever the list of things are over that period of time. Do you think that that helped you keep calm in the last year, knowing the components of as long as my funding is secure, this is how I communicate with that person. This is the plan. You know, I've always got a plan, even if it has to move. It was, was there an element of just experience that helped you not panic? I mean, you probably also distracted by four kids and presumably younger ones homeschooling older ones worrying about university it's it been quite a difficult time to have any time to panic 
That well, you have a, I had a, one doing GCSEs, one doing A levels, and one that I had homeschool that I gave up on very quickly and just let him go feral and learn to garden and do whatever he wanted. Um, that sounds like that that sounds fair. Um, I think the, yeah, multiple openings in multiple countries um, does help, and also you know you have to pivot a lot and you have to with a build. You have to make concessions. You have to change things around. Sometimes you find, you know, lovely surprises in a building that you didn't know weren't there because you didn't get to survey because we're in a pandemic and no one can get into survey. So, you know, you have to find solutions and you have to find them on Zoom with 17 people, you know, not being able to go on site and actually physically see. Yeah, I guess in many ways starting a business in the pandemic is actually uh, a good thing because presumably the following years have to be easier. For me in my business, which is obviously very different to yours, I didn't experience anything in COVID that I have not experienced in the last 10 years. It just all happened at the same time. And it was the volume and the speed that was very challenging. So I've had clients come and go. I've had people come and go. I've had people get sick, had people experience trauma in their personal lives. I've had, um, you know, offices, have, have to move offices. I've had uh, people breach contracts you know you kind of go there are always going to be times in our careers where you feel like you have to you know buckle up a little bit buckling up for 18 months and then at the end of that 18 months you go well all we've done is survive so now we have to work really hard because we haven't made any fucking money for 18 months and we can't go away so we're all burnt out and I I only laugh because I don't have any children. So the idea of doing this with kids is absurd to me. You know, y- you are a mum and you are running this business as a woman by yourself. I know you've got a brilliant team, but I mean, what, how, how realistic is it to create balance if you're a mum, if there are mums listening to this or, you know, people who have careers but want to have children? I mean, what, how do you, how do you manage to balance that? I don't, I mean, I could be careful how I phrase this, get annihilated online. I don't think you can have it all. Um, you know, I just it's not possible. You can't be a great perfect mother and have a, 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 a stellar career all at the same time. Like over your period of, of life, you can juggle it. And there is an unrealistic expectation in the world today that we can have it all. But this is where everybody is feeling like shit all the time. Yeah, I mean, I was always told you can have everything you want, but just not at the same time. And I think that it's interesting because I've, I started my business at 22 and I, well, I went to university. I hated it. I was miserable every single day. One of my biggest regrets is not leaving university sooner than the final day. And my experience during my twenties was work. And I, I can't foresee a time in my life where I wouldn't want to work. I, it gives me so much joy and financial independence and, you know, all the other brilliant things. But, you know, I'm very lucky to speak to lots of brilliant women and many of them have children. And the way they make it work is a brilliant partner, a nanny, an acceptance that they have guilt and that perhaps their kids are going to lament some time that they haven't spent together and having to make difficult choices. And I think it's very difficult to reconcile the idea that, you're probably working for yourself but you're also obviously working for your ability to be a better mother and parent and provide for your family and that's hard to communicate with kids who just want to be around you 
but it is a realization I've had certainly in my 30s is it isn't going to be possible to work the way I work now and have a family and you kind of you do wonder what that actually looks like and I think you know that's why what you've created is such a significant step towards enabling people to create better systems and processes to manage that whether it is their ability to work you know on site as in remotely out of their home whether it's advice from other people who they meet and interact with to prevent them from being lonely because a lot I will not be the first in my friendship group to have children but for many people they are and therefore they feel quite isolated I guess it's an interesting sentence because it does sound negative the idea that like listen up ladies you can't have it all but it is also about being realistic to to push yourself to be the perfect mother the perfect CEO the perfect partner to always want to have sex to be thin you hit the nail on the head like what is what is having it all in this day and age I mean I didn't have a career I didn't know what I wanted to do I got knocked up you know kind of accidentally and actually as a result my children defined my career I wouldn't be sitting having this conversation with you if I hadn't had kids Um, and I made that work and and I built them into my work when you have children you have an existing business you have an infrastructure that you're familiar with you'll be able to to, to mould them in and to dip in and out of of the two. And I think you'll be probably better at it than you think you are right now because it seems so scary. But it does, there's an element of parenting that's not as scary as people make it out to be as well. But in the pursuit of having it all, there's a bit of a checklist that you're going to have. You know, nannies and childcare are essential. And as you say, you can't feel guilt about it. But generationally, nannies and childcare were frowned upon. You know, my mother was a stay-at-home mom for five years and, you know, she had the thought of having a nanny in the fridge and she's like, oh, my God, you know, you need to be you need to be home with your children. And it's like, well, no, mum, we don't anymore. It's interesting that because my parents both grew up with nannies and then my mum was a stay-at-home mom and I, I think more nannies than children, actually, as a good ratio. I think that would work for me. I don't really know what, I think it's obviously so personal to everyone, but I do think that if you are fortunate enough to have a thriving relationship with a partner and have a family that way um and that is what you end up having that relationship and dynamic is so integral and if you want to be a good partner and a good parent and a good business person and all these other things you know you've got to create boundaries and structure and red line time and be realistic about the fact that multitasking is a con because if you multitask you're just not giving 100% to one thing in your career you've obviously had huge success and and are continuing to but but do you have mentors um I've had I mean I've been fortunate over the years you you find people people find you um and in particular because my industry is is childcare and we wanted to do something a bit different so anybody that's doing anything different in the childcare industry people do seek you out and so over the years I just kind of bump into people and there's so much to learn from both industries you know you can kind of use your network to find what you need when you need it when you guys when you look back now do you think and maybe maybe less so now in your career but do you ever look back and think, what the fuck were we doing? Because I look back and I'm like, how did anyone pay me for four to seven years of my career, frankly? Like, do you look back and think, because, and the reason I ask that is because I think there's a bit of an expectation now, particularly through social media. And we do see these presentations of women who are wearing a perfectly dry cleaned trouser suit and have a blow dry and 
a baby on their hip and a hot husband and you probably think they're getting laid every day and they've got a nice island in their kitchen. And you think that's obviously horseshit. In the same way that we see fitness influencers who've used like auto-tune to make their butt bigger or smaller or whatever or whatever our butts are supposed to look like this week. It, it, in From an entrepreneurial perspective, there's a lot of pressure to get it all right from the beginning, whether that's being fully sustainable. And I liked that you mentioned earlier, you know, we're not perfect, but we're doing the best we can with what we have. And the pursuit of being better is, is very much there. But do you think that for entrepreneurs now starting, there's a lot of pressure to be a B Corp and have, you know, amazing culture and have made all the right hires and suddenly find an investor. And like, it's all a bit ludicrous when you think back to the beginning where you're like, we d- we literally didn't have any idea what the fuck we were doing. And we fumbled our way through until, you know, we tripped up on all these things. And then, you know, the grazers turned to scars and you harden. And then here you are 15 years later. I mean, honestly, when we first opened Kensington, Rose was about to give birth. And I think we'd flooded like a, a, a month. I mean, it was a joke. We had no clue. I mean, I could barely open the cash register. I didn't even know where we, we bought some muffins in, probably from Tesco's. I look back on it now and I literally, I'm like, I cannot believe people live their children with us. Oh, my God. Um, but you, yeah, you get through it. And I look back then and I'm like, fucking hell, it's really hard to get money then. It's a tough one. You know, when you start a business, I think the main thing is to believe in your product Um if you fundamentally are passionate and you believe in your product, if you're just doing it because you think you're going to be able to get more holidays to have your own business, I wouldn't recommend going into business. Yeah, they're like, you'll be on holiday and you'll have all these brands. You're like, try gaining 10 kilos and being single forever. Like, that's also an option if you run a business. (laughs) But it's interesting what you say about investors because I think that there's, I've seen it similarly with the, the femcare space, is that it's, you know, with childcare, it's so, uh, personal and as primary caregivers often historically have been women and most investors are men there's probably just a a barrier there on the basis that they don't really understand the need for the I mean if we're being really general they don't really understand the need for the services because they're not connected to it in the same way similarly with when I've worked with CBD tampons you know I've had a client who was told by an investor I'll give these to my wife And it's just like, of course, they're not going to give you money because they've got no concept of what you're even trying to do. What was your process of finding money for this project? Did you know where to go? Did you know how much you needed? Did you have to get a lot of advice? If someone was sat there thinking, I think I've got to raise money for my business, I don't know any investors. Can you share what your experience of that was? So this this time around, I mean, this is, I guess, the the joy of experience and having a product that was very successful that I exited. So it was definitely easier um, in some respects to to the investment meetings and style were very different this time around to when we raised money with Megan Rose, which we did through Crowdcube when Crowdcube, I think, was one of the first things that launched and we went out on it as everyone was going to Ibiza for the summer and it was painful watching it. And then we ended up doing these kind of open evenings with investor show rounds and my god it was the most stressful thing I signed a lease for Chiswick before and before raising finance I had six weeks to raise two and a half million pounds to get otherwise I was going to lose my house so I was mental when it came to Chiswick you're like hi I just I'm going to personally guarantee my dwelling against this 
because oh, because what, who wouldn't want to invest in this? It's such there's a good nothing idea. Like, there's nothing like a deadline to really get nothing like a deadline. And it was one of those things as well that the lease was so good, like the and they they were willing to give it to us. And it was like, oh my god, okay, okay, we're good, just got to go for it and hope the money will come. There's there's great advice in there about backing yourself. I haven't had to raise any money for my business because it's a service business and the metrics work differently. I don't need real estate. I don't need um, product in that sense. But I've worked with many, many brands who have and been kind of connected to that funding cycle. And the advice I've been given constantly is like, it's basically what pressure you're willing to put yourself under because you are taking money on the proviso that you deliver what you pretend you think you can deliver plus 10%. And uh, people aren't giving you money, they want a return. And it's, you know, it's a transaction. And it's wonderful when they believe in the business and you and there should always be a match, but it is a a transaction, it's a business transaction. But to your point about, you know, I had six weeks till I was going to lose my house, which, you know, is a is a brilliant soundbite now, probably less so at the time, sure, with kids and stuff. Um, But it is a point which is like, what are you willing to put yourself through? And for many, many people, that is, you know, the answer is not that. But it it is, I guess, a point connected to what you said earlier about really backing your product, really backing yourself. At the point at which you're raising money, you are essentially selling a hypothesis, which even though you have a proven track record, it's it's still a risk. With all that in mind, do you take time to enjoy the sort of positive things in the business, the wins, you know, when you when you sign the new site, when something gets painted when the cork floor that you wanted gets installed when whatever the things are or when you get your first sign up or when you get your you know last sign up because the site's at capacity and you need to look for a new one are you good at celebrating that or is it just like there's immediately another thing to do and you, you sort of move through them quite quickly I think I'm probably not actually good at celebrating, which is something that Ed, my other half, is constantly telling me that I need to take step back and look at it through other people's eyes. I'm not sure that there's time at the moment to enjoy the little moments. I mean, as a team, we celebrate certain things and milestones and stuff, but maybe in September when all the floors are open. You're also moving house, aren't you? So that's just like a little bit more pressure, which is not relaxing based on my own experience. So you thought you'd chuck that in as well just to raise the blood pressure. Yeah, get rid of two kids and then uh, then move house. <laughs> and don't give them the new address. Perfect. <laughs> no, I've got to find one big enough to take them and all their friends when they come back because they don't come back on their own. How do you make sure that you keep learning? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you read books? Do you talk to people? Do you? So from a design perspective, because my role is, is all of the design and the product, I do enjoy going to places. That's kind of, I'm an, I absorb um, things and, and we're always looking at, you know, operations and stuff. So we go to restaurants and things. So it's it's being exposed and going to places is, I've just been to the Hoxton, which I absolutely love. I always kind of go a bit um, design fangirl there. But I booked date night um, to and stayed in a hotel to escape the kids um, and things like that. Is kind of it, it's I don't I don't necessarily I should listen to more podcasts. I say I don't have time. I probably do. I just need to be a bit more organised. I can't read a book. My eyesight's gotten so I don't know if anyone out but eyesight has gotten so much worse with this pen the last year and a half i don't know it's because we stare at screens more we've been on zooms but i can't uh i can't read books anymore magazines i'm like flicking through magazines you have audible audible is the perfect solution you can just listen to things 
Yeah, but people, I learn a lot. It can be really difficult to be productive when you have a business and, you know, in many ways more pressure because you have a track record and therefore there's an expectation. You've got investors, you have a partner, you're moving house, you've got four kids. It is relentless and running a business is incredibly draining and stressful, particularly in the business that you are in. If you had an extra hour in the day, what would you use it for? I was debating this question earlier. It's like an extra hour, it's not enough. What would you just do with just an hour? Um, I don't know, take a bath. Yeah, we got rid of our bath, stupidly. Um, and I miss being able to take a bath. Yeah, I honestly, sometimes I think like, I reckon I could look 30 to 40% better than I do, but I just like, I'm busy. And if I had another three hours, I'm like, it would be over for these bitches. Like, <laughs> actually, my extra hour in my extra hour at the moment, I would go and get waxed because that's that is what I really can't find the time to do at the moment. Ready to go? You can get people who come to your house who come and wax you and tell you you're beautiful and stuff. Yeah, maybe I need to do that. Although in a house full of boys, getting a bikini wax is not something you want them to walk into. Um, tell me what's next. What's next for? uh the business and, and what's next for you in about 10 days time we shall announce the second site oh, you oh, i didn't know that yeah oh, so when i was joking that you would open it and then immediately find a second site and you laughed you were like i know that i have already done that <laughs> yep and i haven't i haven't taken the easy route i'm just gonna tell you that maggie thank you so much for talking to me i've loved getting to know you coming to see the site um it's such a brilliant, important, thoughtful concept that has become a reality. I know that you've changed many, many people's lives with Maggie and Rose and no doubt many more people with Be Together. So thank you for taking a chunk out of your day to talk to me. I think your journey and your learnings and your stories will be hugely appreciated and helpful to lots of people at all different stages of their business journey. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me.